Now, I invite you to find Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2. This is our third sermon in four sermons summarizing what the Lord has taught us over the summer during our Sunday evening gatherings. So we asked the question, who is Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And then we asked the question, what is a Christian? And then this morning we're going to ask the question, what is church? What is church? Now, let's just go ahead and be honest with each other. That may not seem like a really interesting question to you in light of the practical details of what's going on in your life right now. You might feel like that, that is a remote philosophical question, and I'm going through real things right now, and I need practical words from God about what I'm dealing with right now. And I understand that, and I have two, two things to tell you if you feel that way. If you're tempted to zone out because this seems like an abstract theological consideration. Here's the two things I would say to you. Uh, One, don't be surprised ever when you come to God with one thing on your mind, hoping for him to resolve it or address it, and he lovingly redirects you to something else that he would prefer you to be thinking about. That happens all the time if you come to him in, in the Bible looking for answers or looking for help about a specific thing. Like children coming to their father, often he will redirect us and say, they're there, I've got that under control. What you need to be thinking about right now is something else that you weren't thinking about. So perhaps that's what's going on this morning. He wants you to be thinking about something other than what you thought you would be thinking about. The other thing I would say is, the church is absolutely central to everything that God is doing in your life. So the odds are good, whatever the specific concern on your mind is, God's response to that is going to have something to do with the church and who you are as part of the church. The church is central to what he's doing among us and it's central to how we understand even who we are as Christians. So I think this is going to be very practical and very beneficial for each and every one of us with all of our different circumstances going on. So what is church? Now let's just pretend, I'm not going to do this, but let's pretend that Um, in order to try to be a little radical with the sermon and get everybody's attention, I lined you all up single file, sort of going down that aisle and wrapped around the pew, however long the space took. And one by one, I made everybody come up here and grab this microphone, which is something everybody hates to do. And you had to give to the church your answer to that question. What is the church? What would you say? I'm not actually going to do that. But what would you say? What is church? Sometimes these fundamental things we just assume, we take for granted that we all understand what this is, but maybe we don't. What is church? What does the Bible say about it? So in really simple terms, this is the way we put it over the summer, and here's just a real simple sketch of it. So first, you start with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. Okay, so you have Christ up here. Actually, from y'all's perspective, he should be over here because you read from right to left. I always get that wrong when I do my imaginary visuals up here. Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord. Christians are those trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior, following Jesus Christ as their Lord. The church is just all the Christians. That's really the simplest way to put it. The church is just all the Christians. 
But it's a little more complicated because you have the church with a capital C, meaning the universal church. That's all the Christians everywhere and at all, t- of all history comprises the universal church with a capital C, the church. So it's all the Christians. And then you have local churches like Doolin's Grove Church, which is a localized group of Christians. Okay? So that's pretty simple. That was a quick sermon, wasn't it? Now we can go to the picnic. That's a really simple way to understand what the church is, and I think that's accurate. So you have a swarm of bees, a litter of kittens, a school of fish, a church of Christians. That's one way to understand it, and I think that's true. But if you read your Bible about the church, you'll know that it's way more mysterious and glorious than just that. There's a lot more to it. And that's why if you, if you thought maybe Matt is going to make me come up and say a definition, I better find it quick. You'll struggle to find a concise technical definition for the church in the Bible. What you'll find instead is a kaleidoscope of colorful images and metaphors that convey different aspects of what this miraculous entity called the church is. And so that's what we'll do today. And to answer this question, what is church? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And this is a great passage to get at this question because it mixes several of these metaphors together, just sort of mashes them up together. It paints a pretty beautiful picture of what the church is. So Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, we'll start just by reading it. And as we're reading it, look for what these metaphors, look for the metaphors, look for the images that help us understand what the church is. Okay? All right. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right, so now we have our passage before us. We've read God's word. We're about to meditate on it together. We need his help. So let's pause and pray together before we dig into the passage. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us in your word. And thank you for allowing us to be part of your church. Please speak to us now in a way that we can understand and receive. Please transform the way we view reality so that it aligns with what's true according to your word. Help us to understand what this is, the church, what you've called us to do and be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So I'm going to pull out three of the metaphors, three of the images that God gives us to understand the church. And the first one is citizenship. I hesitate to call this one a metaphor because this is actually pretty literal in one sense. But citizenship is one way to understand what the church is. Look back at verse 19. So then, you, he's writing to the Colossian Christians that made up the church. I'm sorry, not Colossians. I've been in 
teaching Colossians in every other place in the last several weeks, the Ephesians, the Ephesian Christians, say, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. We talked last week about what are Christians, and we saw that Christians used to be estranged and alienated from God, but because of Jesus Christ, they've been brought back into a healed, reconciled relationship with God. And the point for us to notice here is the saved person, the person who becomes a Christian, isn't just reconciled to God, but also to God's people. Not just gathered to God, but gathered into God's people. God is not saving a constellation of individual Christians encapsulated from one another. He is saving a people. He is gathering a nation. He is gathering a kingdom, a collective. And you'll never understand who you are or what you are as a Christian if you think of yourself only in individual terms. You'll only really understand yourself and your life as a Christian in the context of church. Because that's what God is creating. When someone is saved, they are granted citizenship in the kingdom of God. Baptism is the public recognition of that citizenship. The Lord's Supper is like our pledge of allegiance to our King of Kings. The character of Christ is our uniform. As kingdom citizens, we are God's people. And you'll notice that it says in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are solo citizens? No, fellow citizens with the saints. And that's very important to understanding what the church is. Fellow citizens with the saints. Saints just means those set apart for God for his holy purposes. So, and what he's talking about specifically are the Jews and the Gentiles are fellow citizens together in Christ. One body, one group. But it goes beyond that. Married people and single people in the church, fellow citizens. White-collar, blue-collar people in the church, fellow citizens. People of every race, fellow citizens. People of, of every socioeconomic situation, fellow citizens. So I recently have started playing tennis again. I'm a has-been tennis player. I wasn't that great when I was a current tennis player, but I really like tennis. And I started playing tennis again for a couple reasons. One, I'm 36. My metabolism is slowing down rapidly. Uh, My slim fit shirts are struggling to contain the situation. And I've got to get some exercise. I, I cannot make myself run. That is the worst. I know Brittany loves it, but I don't understand how anybody enjoys it. So I, I'm trying to play tennis. But the other reason is I have been convicted increasingly lately of the command that we be evangelistic. And I'm so insulated as a pastor from non-Christians in many ways that I don't have a lot of opportunities for personal evangelism. So that's another reason I joined this tennis ladder. I'm meeting a lot of people now, and 
Um, when you're a pastor, you're always only two steps away from a gospel conversation because the first question that people think is safe is, what do you do for a living? And I'll ask the question and get the ball rolling. It seems like a safe conversation. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm in marketing. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Here we go. And we get into it. So I went to the Mint Hill Park a couple of weeks ago. And I confess I was mainly thinking about exercise. I should have been thinking about evangelism, and I was mainly thinking about exercise. And there was no one there anyway. Um, they have a wall that you can hit balls off of to practice, and I was just going to do that. And as soon as I got set up to begin, this guy walked around the corner with a, a tennis racket and a bag full of tennis supplies and a heavy Chilean accent and invited me to play tennis with him. And so we did, and uh, he's from Chile. His wife is from Brazil, and he lives around here. And, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? He actually was in marketing. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. And he said, praise God, that's awesome. I said, oh, are you a Christian? And he said, yeah, I accepted Christ. I, I began following Jesus, trusted in Jesus a couple of years ago at my wife's Brazilian church nearby. And immediately, I felt the camaraderie of our shared citizenship in the kingdom of God. And if you've met people from other nations who are fellow Christians, you know what I'm talking about. There is a, a deeper shared patriotism with a fellow saint, a fellow member of the kingdom of God, than we even share with a fellow American who's not a Christian. And it's beautiful. And that's part of what the church is. But as beautiful as this image is, that's not what the passage focuses on. He moves right on from this idea of citizenship. So we'll keep moving as well to the next image, which is family. So let's read verse 19 again, and he introduces this metaphor of family. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. That's family language. So when someone is saved and becomes a Christian, they are, in a sense, adopted by God the Father into the household of God, the family of God. Now, we saw adoption lived out before our very eyes recently with the Larkin family as they adopted Mallory into their family. Now, obviously, when they adopted Mallory, they embraced her into their household. They didn't adopt her, but keep her in a different location, separately. It's actually a tricky example because they kind of had to keep her in two separate locations because of complications related to the laws, but you know what I mean. They didn't adopt her and then like put her in an orphanage and send, send resources to her. They embraced her into their household, and for Mallory's life now, she will enjoy family dinners with Matt and Beth and being tucked in at night in their household, and she will be their daughter. That's who she is now. And that's another way of understanding what the church is. It is membership in the household of God. It is being part of his family. Baptism is entrance into the household. The Lord's Supper is sort of like a regular family dinner together. And again, just like this uh, Chilean tennis player that I met at the park, you've probably experienced this before, but we actually have more 
a more real and deep sense of kinship with our fellow Christians than we do with our biological family when they're not Christians. Now, that's not at all to downplay how important our biological families are to us, but our kinship together as brothers and sisters in Christ is going to extend into eternity, whereas the biological family unit will become obsolete. So we have a very real brotherhood, sisterhood together. Being a part of the church together is like being part of family together. Now, he continues to develop this metaphor in a really surprising way as he goes on. As we read on after verse 19, the metaphor sort of shapeshifts from that of a family to that of a structure, a building, specifically a temple. So that's the third image, citizenship, family, and then temple. So let's read again. We'll start at verse 19, but let's read that whole passage again and look at how the the metaphor changes shapes and he starts to talk about us as a building a temple. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So did you kind of see it visually unfold from citizenship to household to building to temple? A national sort of understanding of what the church is, a familial understanding, now an architectural understanding. And he emphasizes the foundation and cornerstone were built on there in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These are what give stability and shape to a structure, the foundation and the cornerstone. Without these, it crumbles and falls apart into little individual fragments. It's the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and the word of God, the Bible, that is the basis of the church. And without it, the church crumbles into an individualized rubble of individual disconnected people. But if we remain built atop the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and the Word of God, the Bible, we stick together and we're built actually into a temple of sorts. Verses 21 and 22. In Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's a beautiful image. It's a building, but a building that grows. So it's like a structure where we're placed in like living stones, but we grow like a a tree grows. So long as we're planted on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Now, the temple would have had a lot of significance to the Jewish Christians reading this and the Gentile Christians who were aware of the ancient temple as well. That was the place where God's presence was specifically made manifest to his people. But now, it's not a place. It's not a geographical place anymore. The people are the place now. God's presence dwells in his people now, not a place. That's why we don't go on a pilgrimage to a place as Christians, as other religions might. It's not about a place, it's about a people. 
God isn't consecrating places anymore. He's consecrating people. And we have to be careful not to confuse place and people. We have to be careful about our language. Like, we should hesitate to use the phrase house of God to refer to the church building because really, we are the house of God, his people. Now, we love our, we're so grateful for our facilities and it's a tremendous stewardship God has blessed us with to use to glorify him and serve people. But we must never confuse the place with the actual church. This is not the church. You are the church and I am the church. We are God's people. So if someone asks you, oh, you go to church, where's your church? How do you answer? Where is your church? Now, I get really narrow about words, and I I know uh, people probably roll their eyes when people ask me questions like this, but I refuse to say our church is at the corner of Albemarle Road and Arlington Church Road. Now, I'll say our church meets at Arlington Church Road and Albemarle Road, but our church is scattered about. In Charlotte, Midland, Mint Hill, Stallings, Indian Trail, Concord, Harrisburg. We're scattered about, but we meet here. And that seems like maybe an a unnecessary distinction to make, but I don't think it is. I think it's really confusing if we talk about the place as if the place is the church. It's not. We are the church. We are the place. Doolin's Grove Church is a people. You and me. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God. We are being built and grown into a holy temple. Now, that's true of the universal church with a capital C. But what about the local church, like Doolin's Grove Church, Arlington Baptist Church, Blair Road? How are we to understand these local churches in light of these universal truths about the church? Well, here's where I've landed on this with everything God's been teaching us throughout the summer, and I think this is true. The local church is the context in which we experience and participate in the universal church. So these three images, citizenship, family, temple, these are all great ideas, but how do you experience and participate in that? You do it in the context of your local church. That's where these things are made real. That's where these things are made concrete. That's where we experience and participate in them. Something that's helped me understand this is to compare it to marriage. So you have the idea of marriage. Okay, I understand marriage based on God's word to be a covenant union between a man and a woman wherein the man loves his wife the way Christ loved the church and the wife loves her husband the way the church trust and loves Christ, and for their entire lives, it's a living gospel display. That's what marriage is, capital M, marriage. So that's my understanding of it, but how do I experience and participate in that? Well, not just with any woman, with Meredith Broadway. Meredith is the context in which I experience and participate in marriage, and that's sort of what the local church is to everything we've been talking about. So I don't want you to go out of here with these philosophical ideas of church, like, well, that's neat. That's neato. Church is all these cool things. I want you to experience and participate in it, and that only happens in the context of your local church. Now, yes, we we experience that like me with Jamie, the Chilean fellow Christian at Mint Hill Park, 
but the odds are good I may never see him again. So I'm not going to get to work with him as a fellow citizen like I am going to get to do that with Robert. I'm not going to get to experience my brotherhood with him the way I am going to get to experience my brotherhood with Will. Because Jamie and I are not committed to be together in fellow citizenship and brotherhood in the same local church like we are. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. I find it beautiful. I hope it makes sense to you. I get asked a question, and you may have even asked this question before. Can I be a Christian and not go to church? Some of you may be asking that right now as this sermon goes on and on. Can I be a Christian and not go to church? Well, in the first place, the sentence itself makes no sense. Because church isn't a place to go. It's a people to be. So right off the bat, you're, you're off from what reality even is. So, but I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. And really the simple ans- answer biblically is no. At least not for long. The majority of what God tells us to do as Christians can only be done in the context of the church. If you read through the epistles, there is much more written about what we need to be doing for and with one another in the church than there is even about evangelism. So if you're going to try to be a Christian and not be part of a local church, you're going to be completely ignoring like 80% of what the Bible commands you to do. And it's just not possible. So no, I'm afraid you can't. I don't think you can be a Christian for, and not be a part of a church for long because if you're a Christian, you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you and you're going to be wanting to obey God's word and you're going to see, I'm supposed to be loving my brothers and sisters in Christ and intentionally building them up using my spiritual gifts. And that requires time with them and commitment to them. So no, you can't. You can't be a Christian and not be part of a church. If, if you're saved at all, You are saved into the church because that's the only way God does it. He doesn't save people into an individual, isolated existence. He saves us into his people. If you're saved at all, you're saved into the church. Now, that's not to say you may go through seasons where you're disconnected from the church, but I can guarantee those are not going to be spiritually healthy seasons of your life. We grow together or we don't grow at all. The church is just absolutely central to everything God means to do in us and through us. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be part of the church together. So some closing admonitions here. Let's lean into our citizenship. Let's lean into our family relationships in the household of God. Let's lean into this building project wherein we're being built up to be a temple. Let's view each other through these biblical lenses. Let's base all that we do on Jesus Christ and his word, our foundation, our cornerstone. Let's think in terms of people and not place when we think about the church. Let's not attend church as individuals, but let's be the church together. Let's renew our commitment to the church with a capital C by renewing our commitment to the church with a lowercase c. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be your church. We are, apart from your grace through Jesus Christ, we are sinners and rebels and far from you. 
alienated from you, estranged from you. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be cleansed and forgiven and made right with you. But not just that, brought into your church, to be part of your church. Lord, may we be a healthy, growing, vibrant, spiritually nourished church founded securely on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, not deviating from the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. May we grow into a holy temple. In Jesus' name, amen.